The Lord be with you. A reading of the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to pray. While he was praying, his face changed in appearance and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were conversing with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions had been overcome by sleep, but becoming fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As they were about to part from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But he did not know what he was saying. While he was still speaking, a cloud came and cast a shadow over them, and they became frightened when they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my chosen son. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They fell silent and did not at that time tell anyone what they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I think this episode of the Transfiguration is sort of like a movie trailer for a good action suspense movie. We've all been to the theater and seen this happen. The screen goes dark. Soft, slow, ethereal, mysterious music begins to play. And then... There's a pregnant pause. And a deep voice announcer comes on. Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain. And the next thing you know, there is a flash flurry of sporadic split-second scenes from the movie that are being thrown at you for the next 30 seconds. And it gives you a good idea how the movie's going to go, but it doesn't give it away, and it makes you feel like, man, I want to go see that movie. I think the Transfiguration's kind of like that. It gives us sort of that trailer. This scene is, uh, this story, I think, at times can be kind of hard to understand, isn't it? It's very mysterious, very otherworldly, very, very heavenly. And all it really does do is sort of throw split-second scenes at us. So let's take it apart, first of all, and look at a little bit of those, some of those details. First of all, of course, it takes place on a mountain, and, and mountains in Scripture are a spiritual symbol. They're pretty self-evident, right? As the summits of earth touch the heavens, scrape the heavens, it reminds us that that's what life is really all about, about earth reaching heaven, heaven reaching earth, about humanity and God coming together, which is exactly what happens on this mountain. But then Jesus' face changes in appearance, and his clothing becomes dazzling white, as brilliant as the sun. You know, on most days, actually pretty much every other day that Jesus was walking around in the Holy Land, nobody ever really looked at his appearance and said, look, it's God, because he's an ordinary Jewish man. He looked like, like many Jewish men walking around. But on this mountain, as Jesus is talking to his Father and communing with his Father in prayer, there's this profound interpenetration of their very being. And that actually then becomes visible. It becomes pure light. 
John, in his first epistle, says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So on this mountain, we get to see who Jesus really is. And as we'll say in a moment, he is God of God, light of light, very God of very God. The fullness of his divinity begins to outwardly permeate through his human body. He's beginning to radiate with his glory. And then Moses and Elijah show up. And they not only represent the entire Old Testament to us, the law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah, which Jesus is now fulfilling the law and the prophets. He's fulfilling the whole Old Testament. But they also kind of give us a glimpse of the communion of saints because we're told that they also appear in this glory, in this pure light. If you remember the story of Moses in the Old Testament, he went up on Mount Sinai and then he'd also go into the tent of meeting to meet with God face to face. We heard that in our first reading. And whenever he would come back out, he was glowing because he'd been in the God's presence in his glory and he would glow. Now, that glow would eventually fade, but now that Moses lives permanently in God's light, along with Elijah, with all the saints in light, where we're going to someday be, we bask in that light and that glory and we reflect that light. See, because we're not the source of that light, we only reflect it, much like the way that the sun shines on the moon, and the moon just simply reflects, brilliantly reflects the light of the sun. Well, then you have a dense cloud that comes, and it overshadows the scene, and that reminds us and represents the Holy Spirit. Rewind the tape back to the beginning of Luke's gospel when the angel Gabriel shows up in Nazareth and tells Mary that she is going to conceive of God's son, and Mary says, how? (laughs) And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, the very same word. And then finally the Father speaks, this is my chosen Son, listen to Him. See, we get very rare moments like this in the Scriptures, but this is similar to the baptism of Jesus that we heard a few few weeks ago, where the entire Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are all three revealed to us. The very aim and the purpose of our lives now in this scene flashes in front of us. Friends, this is our destiny. When Jesus comes again, we are to be raised from the dead. And as we heard in our second reading, this corruptible body will become incorruptible. This mortal body will become immortal as you and I bask in the pure light of the loving unity of these three persons whom we call God. Think in these dark days of winter how just seeing the sun does a lot for us. Think then of what the glory of God will do for us as we are there eternally. Because here's the thing, make sure you hear this. Every one of you, you were created for this. This is your destiny. Every person on earth, this is what we're created for, to live in the glory of God. Okay, So does the trailer make you want to see the movie? All of this still might seem a bit abstract and strange and mysterious because this story is way beyond most of our human experience, isn't it? And maybe we're still sitting there going, oh, okay, but I, I don't know, I don't get it. Perhaps it's because it's one of the first times we've heard this story, we're not really familiar with it, and we don't know what it means, and then maybe we've heard it many times and we've just never really been able to get our heads and our hearts around it. Or maybe we hear it and we understand it, but we sense deep in our souls that 
man, I'm a long ways from that. I'm pretty far from God. I'm far from His glory. But if we don't see this as our destiny, if we don't see this as the aim and the purpose and the very goal of our lives, then we're going to seek out something else to do that. We're going to seek out an earthly glory. We're going to seek out a lesser love, something we think is going to make us happy and give us pleasure and bliss. We're going to try to find another kind of heaven. And so Peter is so great because he really helps us. He just simply tells us, you know what, it's good to be here. It's good to be on that mountain. And this is so good. In fact, this is the good to be in God's presence like this. And so Peter says, let's stay. Let's camp out. Let's pitch tents. We're never going back that, down that mountain. Now think about what that means. What Peter is saying is he's willing to leave behind every earthly glory, every earthly pleasure, and he wants to stay here forever. Never needs to go back. This all-surpassing glory of God, this absolute bliss in this vision makes him want this and this alone, nothing else. It makes him love God with his entire being for a brief moment, to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is good. But Luke says he doesn't really know what he's talking about on the other hand. And the reason why is because this is just the trailer. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are talking about Jesus' exodus. Quickly that brings to mind the Old Testament exodus and Moses, the Passover. The night when the angel of death passed over the homes of the Israelites because they had sacrificed the lamb and smeared that lamb's blood on the doorframe. And so the angel passed over their homes and spared every firstborn Israelite son, but he slayed every Egyptian son, firstborn son, their enemies. And so the Egyptians finally tell the Israelites, get out, leave Egypt. And on that very night, Israel makes her exodus, her departure, and heads home back to the promised land. And so Moses and Elijah and Jesus are talking about his exodus, which is now right in front of him. Because he goes down the mountain and he sets his face towards Jerusalem and he goes to that cross for the new and the greater Passover. Because he's the lamb whose blood has been smeared on the frame of that cross whose blood has set us free, not from Egyptian slavery. It set us free from the slavery of sin and death that has so much control over us and so much control of our hearts so that we can pass over from death to life. And so he departs. He dies on that cross, but you know he also rises and he ascends. He makes this exodus out of earth, back to heaven, back to home, back to his glory. And Jesus constantly taught us throughout the Gospels that we have to take up our crosses and follow him, which means we also have to make our exodus. We can't stay up on the mountain. We can't just watch the trailer. We have to enter into the drama. We have to enter into the suspense and the action ourselves. I don't know if you caught this or not, but it said that Peter, John, and James, first of all, fell into a deep sleep up there on that mountain. But then they came, became fully awake, and it's that moment they saw his glory. And Luke's giving us a little hint there. That every one of us has to fall into the deep sleep of death. But when we awaken in the resurrection, we will see the fullness of his glory. 
But for now, that means we have to take up those crosses and follow Him. We have to die to ourselves. We have to die to sin so that we can enter with Him into glory. And that, my friends, is why we need Lent and the journey that's in front of us starting this Ash Wednesday. The journey of Lent calls us once again to follow Jesus to His cross and then to His empty tomb. Lent calls us to fast from our earthly pleasures and those lesser loves in our lives that take up so much space in us, space that is meant for our true love, for Jesus. And Lent calls us into a time of deeper prayer so that our hearts can be interpenetrated with the very heart of Jesus, so that our deepest desire is for Him. This scene, this transfiguration scene, is a glimpse of what life is like when we are so intimately united to our God, when we will be so, permeate, so radiantly permeated with His glory to the very core of our being, to the point that it burns away in us, all, that light burns away all the lesser loves inside of us so that we're finally free, free of all the other distractions to love Him with every ounce of our existence, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Another way to put it, my friends, is that we'll finally be home where we belong. We belong in glory with our Lord. So our theme this year for Lent is going to be homecoming. On our weekends, we're, we're, what we'll be talking about in the homilies is home is where the heart is. We're going to have to ask ourselves hard questions. Where is my heart, really? Is it, is it at home with Jesus, or is it off somewhere else? And then when we gather on our Wednesdays at noon or at 7 o'clock, we're going to talk about being home free. And we're going to go back and look at that Old Testament Exodus story again. And as we hear how God freed Israel from the slavery of the Egyptians, we'll hear how Jesus frees us from the slavery, the things that hold us back and keep us from going home and being home free. And on Sunday mornings during Bible class, Pastor Reith's going to take us through Life Together, the book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And we're going to talk about how can we be a church that everyone can call home, a place where everybody can find Jesus here. Because it's time to go home, my friends. This is where we really belong in His glory. But every one of us, you have to make up your mind. You have to decide, is this going to be the highest priority? the greatest goal, not just of Lent, not just for a season of time, but actually your whole life. Is this the goal of your life, to live in His glory? Are you willing to take the journey to go down the mountain, to go to the cross, to die to yourself and to your sin and to your selfishness so that someday you might rise and awaken to this great glory? So you've seen the trailer will you see the movie? Actually, will you enter into the movie? Will you be in the movie? Will you be in the drama, the suspense, the mystery of our faith? So that we can get ready for Wednesday, let's all take a moment of prayer. Let's ask that the Lord renews our Trinity family, Christians everywhere throughout the world. But I ask you to Pray for yourself as well. This might be a time of renewal.